Chapter 8 of the Boy Scouts Book of Campfire Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Soule. The Boy Scouts Book of Campfire Stories. Chapter 8, The End of the Trail, by Clarence E. Mulford. Author's Note. Buck Peters, foreman of Bar 20 Ranch, had many cowboys. Pete Wilson, Red Connors... Billy Williams, Johnny Nelson, and a goodly number more, but chief among them was Hopalong Cassidy. Many interesting stories are told about him in Bar 20 Days, but none of his thrilling experiences ever ended as did the one recited in this most unusual story, The End of the Trail. The Editor When one finds on his ranch the carcasses of two cows on the same day, and both are skinned, there can be only one conclusion. The killing and skinning of two cows out of herds that are numbered by thousands need not, in themselves, bring lines of worry to any foreman's brow. But there is the sting of being cheated, the possibility of the losses going higher unless a sharp lesson can be given upon the folly of fooling with a very keen and active buzzsaw. And it was the determination of the outfit of the Bar 20 to teach that lesson, and as quickly as circumstances would permit. It was common knowledge that there was a more or less organized band of shiftless malcontents making its headquarters in and near Perry's Bend, some distance up the river, and the deduction in this case was easy. The Bar 20 cared very little about what went on at Perry's Bend. That was a matter which concerned only the ranches near that town, so long as no vexatious happenings sifted too far south. But they had so sifted, and Perry's Bend, or rather the undesirable class hanging out there, was due to receive a shock before long. About a week after finding the first skin cows, Pete Wilson tornadoed up to the bunkhouse with a perforated arm. Pete was on foot, having lost his horse at the first exchange of shots, which accounts for the expression describing his arrival. Pete hated to walk. He hated still more to get shot, and most of all, he hated to have to admit that his rifle shooting was so far below par. He had seen the thief at work, and, too eager to work up close to the cattle skinner before announcing his displeasure, had missed the first shot. When he dragged himself out from under his deceased horse, the scenery was undisturbed, save for a small cloud of dust hovering over a distant rise to the north of him. After delivering a short and bitter monologue, he struck out for the ranch and arrived in a very hot and wrathful condition. It was contagious, that condition, and before long the entire outfit was in the saddle and pounding north, Pete overjoyed because his wound was so slight as to not bar him from the chase. The shock was on the way, and as events proved, was to be one long to linger in the minds of the inhabitants of Perry's Bend and the surrounding range. The patrons of the Oasis liked their tobacco strong. The pungent smoke drifted in sluggish clouds along the low, black ceiling, following its upward slant toward the east wall and away from the high bar at the other end. This bar, rough and strong, ran from the north wall to within a scant two feet of the south wall, the opening bridged by a hinged board which served as an extension of the counter. Behind the bar was a rear door, low and double, the upper part barred securely, the lower part was used most. In front of and near the bar was a large round table at which four men played cards silently, while two smaller tables were located along the north wall. Besides dilapidated chairs, there were half a dozen low wooden boxes partly filled with sand, and attention was directed to the existence and purpose of these by a roughly lettered sign on the wall, reading, Gents will look for a box first, which the gents sometimes did. The majority of the gents preferred to aim at various knotholes in the floor and bet on the result, chancing the outpouring of the proprietor's wrath if they missed. On the wall behind the bar was a smaller and neater request. Leave your guns with the bartender, Edwards. This, although a month old, still called forth caustic and profane remarks from the regular frequenters of the saloon, for hitherto restraint in the matter of carrying weapons had been unknown. 
They forthwith evaded the order in a manner consistent with their characteristics, by carrying smaller guns where they could not be seen. The majority had simply sawed off a generous part of the long barrels of their Colts and Remingtons, which did not improve their accuracy. Edwards, the new Marshal of Perry's Bend, had come direct from Kansas, and his reputation as a fighter had preceded him. When he took up his first day's work, he was kept busy proving that he was the rightful owner of it, and that it had not been exaggerated in any manner or degree. With the exception of one instance, the proof had been bloodless, for he reasoned that gunplay should give way, whenever possible, to a crushing right or left, to the point of the jaw or to the pit of the stomach. His proficiency in the manly art was polished and thorough and bespoke earnest application. The last doubting Thomas to be convinced came to five minutes after his diaphragm had been rudely and suddenly raised several inches by a low right hook, and as he groped for his bearings and got his wind back again, he asked very feebly where Kansas was, and the name stuck. The marshal did not like the oasis. Indeed, he went further and cordially hated it. Harlan's saloon was a thorn in his side, and he was only waiting for a good excuse to wipe it off the local map. He was the law, and behind him were the range riders, who would be only too glad to have the nest of rustlers wiped out and its gang of ne'er-do-wells scattered to the four winds. Indeed, he had been given to understand in a most polite and diplomatic way that if this were not done lawfully, they would try to do it themselves, and they had great faith in their ability to handle the situation in a thorough and workmanlike manner. This would not do in a law-abiding community, as he called the town, and so he had replied that the work was his, and that it would be performed as soon as he believed himself justified to act. Harlan and his friends were fully conversant with the feeling against them, and had become a little more cautious, alertly watching out for trouble. On the evening of the day which saw Pete Wilson's discomfiture, most of the habitué had assembled in the oasis where, besides the card players already mentioned, eight men lounged against the bar. There was some laughter much subdued talking, and a little whispering. More whispering went on under that roof than in all the other places in town put together. For here, rustling was planned. Wayfaring strangers were trimmed in frame-up at cards, and a hunted man was certain to find assistance. Harlan had once boasted that no fugitive had ever been taken from his saloon, and he was behind the bar and standing on the trap door which led to the six-by-six -six cellar when he made that assertion. It was true, for only those in his confidence knew of the place of refuge under the floor. It had been dug at night, and the dirt carefully disposed of. It had not been dark very long before talking ceased and card-playing was suspended, while all looked up as the front door crashed open and two punchers entered, looking the crowd over with critical care. "'Stay here, Johnny,' Hopalong told his youthful companion, and then walked forward, scrutinizing each scowling face in turn, while Johnny stood with his back to the door, keenly alert, his right hand resting lightly on his belt not far from the holster. Harlan's thick neck grew crimson and his eyes hard. "'Looking for something?' he said with bitter sarcasm, his hand under the bar. Johnny grinned hopefully, and a sudden tenseness took possession of him as he watched for the first hostile move. "'Yes,' Hopalong replied coolly, appraising Harlan's attitude and look in one swift gaze. But it ain't here. Now, Johnny, get out, he ordered, backing after his companion, and safely outside, the two walked towards Jackson's store, Johnny complaining about the little time spent in the oasis. As they entered the store, they saw Edwards, whose eyes asked a question. Did you look all over? Behind the bar? Edwards asked slowly. He can't get out of town through that cordon you've strung around it, and he ain't nowhere else. Leastwise, I couldn't find him. 
Come on back, excitedly exclaimed Johnny, turning towards the door. You didn't look behind the bar. Come on, bet you ten dollars that's where he is. Maybe you're right, kid, replied Hoblong, and the marshal's nodding head decided it. In the saloon there was strong language, and Jack Quinn, the expert skinner of the other men's cows, looked inquiringly at the proprietor. What's up now, Harlan? The proprietor laughed harshly, but said nothing. Taciturnity was his one redeeming trait. Did you say cigars? he asked, pushing a box across the bar to an impatient customer. Another beckoned to him, and he leaned over to hear the whispered request, a frown struggling to show itself on his face. Nix, you know my rule. No trust in here. But the man at the far end of the line was unlike the proprietor, and he prefaced his remark with a curse. I know what's up. They want Jerry Brown, that's what. And I hope they don't get him, the bullies. What did he do? Why do they want him? asked the man who had wanted trust. Skinning. He was careless or crazy working so close to their ranch houses. Nobody that had any sense would take a chance like that, replied Boston, adept at sleight of hand with cards and very much in demand when a frame-up was to be rung in on some unsuspecting stranger. His one great fault in the eyes of his partners was that he hated to divvy his winnings and at times had to be coerced into sharing equally. Ah, them big ranches make me mad, announced the first speaker. Ten years ago, there was a lot of little ranchers, and every one of them had his own herd and plenty of free grass and water for it. Where are the little herds now? Where are the cows we used to own? He cried hotly. What happens to a maverick hunter nowadays if a man helps himself to a poor sick doggy he's hunted down? It can't go on much longer, and that's sure. Slivers Lowe leaped up from his chair. You're right, Harper. Dead right. I was a little cattle owner once, and so was you, and Jerry, and most of us. Slivers found it convenient to forget that fully half of his small herd had perished in the bitter and long winter of five years before, and that the remainder had either flowed down his parched throat or been lost across the big round table near the bar. Not a few of his cows were banked in the east under Harlan's name. The rear door opened slightly, and one of the loungers looked up and nodded. It's all right, Jerry, but get a move on. Here, you, called Harlan, quickly bending over the trap door. Lively! Jerry was halfway to the proprietor when the front door swung open, and Hopalong, closely followed by the marshal, leaped into the room, and immediately thereafter the back door banged open and admitted Johnny. Jerry's right hand was in his side coat pocket, and Johnny, young and self-confident and with a lot to learn, was certain that he could beat the fugitive on the draw. "'I reckon you won't blot no more brands,' he cried triumphantly, watching both Jerry and Harlan. The card players had leaped to their feet, and at a signal from Harlan, they surged toward the bar and formed a barrier between Johnny and his friends. And as they did so, that puncher jerked at his gun, twisting to half-face the crowd. At that instant, fire and smoke spurted from Jerry's side coat pocket, and the odor of burning cloth arose. As Johnny fell, the rustler ducked low and sprang for the door. A gun roared twice in front of the room, and Jerry staggered a little and cursed as he gained the opening, but he plunged into the darkness and threw himself into the saddle on the first horse he found in the small corral. When the crowd massed, Hopalong leaped at it and strove to tear his way to the opening at the other end of the bar, while the marshal covered Harlan and the others. Finding that he could not get through, Hopalong sprang on the shoulder of the nearest man and succeeded in winging the fugitive at the first shot, the other going wild. Then, frantic with rage and anxiety, he beat his way through the crowd, hammering mercilessly at heads with the butt of his colt and knelt at his friend's side. Edwards, Angered almost to the point of killing, ordered the crowd to stand against the wall, and laughed viciously when he saw two men senseless on the floor. "'Hope you beaten your heads,' he gritted, savagely. "'Harlan, put your paws in sight, or I'll drill you clean. Now climb over and get in line, quick!' Johnny moaned and opened his eyes. 
Did... Did I... Get him? No, but he gimleted you all right, Hopalong replied. You'll come round if you keep quiet. He arose, his face hard with the desire to kill. I'm coming back for you, Harland, after I get your friend, and all the rest of your pups, too. Get out of here, whispered Johnny. Sure enough, kid, replied Hopalong, picking him up in his arms and moving carefully towards the door. We'll get him, Johnny, and all the rest, too, when... The voice died out in the direction of Jackson's and the marshal, backing to the front door, slipped out into one side, running backward, his eyes on the saloon. "'Your day's about over, Harlan,' he muttered. "'There's going to be some few funerals around here before many hours pass.' When he reached the store, he found the owner and two double-arrow punchers taking care of Johnny. "'Where's Hopalong?' he asked. "'Gone to tell his foreman,' replied Jackson. "'Hey, youngster, you let them bandages alone, you hear me?' "'Hello, Kansas,' remarked John Barlett, foreman of the Double Arrow. "'I come nigh getting your man. Somebody rode past me like a streak in the dark. So I just ups and lets drive for luck, and so did he. I heard him cuss, and I emptied my gun after him.' The rain slanted down in sheets, and the broken plain, thoroughly saturated, held the water in pools or sent it down the steep side of the cliff to feed the turbulent flood which swept along the bottom, foam-flecked and covered with swiftly moving driftwood. Around a bend where the angry water flung itself against the ragged bulwark of rock and flashed away in a gleaming line of foam, a horseman appeared, bending low in the saddle for better protection against the storm. He rode along the edge of the stream on the farther bank, opposite the steep bluff on the northern side, forcing his wounded and jaded horse to keep fetlock deep in the water, which swirled and sucked about its legs. He was trying his hardest to hide his trail. Lower down the hard, rocky ground extended to the water's edge, and if he could delay his pursuers for an hour or so, he felt that, even with his tired horse, he would have more than an even chance. But they had gained more than he knew. Suddenly above him, on top of the steep bluff across the torrent, a man loomed up against the clouds, peered intently, and then waved his sombrero to an unseen companion. A puff of smoke flashed from his shoulder and streaked away, the report of the shot lost in the gale. The fugitive's horse reared and plunged into the deep water, and with its rider was swept rapidly towards the bend the way they had come. "'That makes the fourth time I've missed that coyote!' angrily exclaimed Hopalong as Red Connors joined him. The other quickly raised his rifle and fired, and the horse spilled its rider out of the saddle, floated away tail first. The fugitive, gripping his rifle, bobbed and whirled at the whim of the greedy water as shots struck near him. Making a desperate effort, he staggered up the bank and fell exhausted behind a boulder. "'Well, the coyote is afoot, anyhow,' said Red with great satisfaction. "'Yes, but how are we going to get to him?' asked Hopalong. "'We can't get the caisses down there, and we can't swim that water without them, and if we could, he'd pot us easy.' "'There's a way out of it somewhere,' Red replied, disappearing over the edge of the bluff to gamble with fate. "'Hey, come back here, you chump!' cried Hopalong, running forward. He'll get you, sure. That's a chance I've got to take if I get him, was the reply. A puff of smoke sailed from behind the boulder on the other bank, and Hopalong, kneeling for steadier aim, fired and then followed his friend. Red was downstream, casting at a rock across the torrent, but the wind toyed with the heavy water-soaked rayata, as though it were a string. As Hopalong reached his side, a piece of driftwood ducked under the water, and an angry humming sound died away downstream. As the report reached their ears, a jet of water spurted up into Red's face, and he stepped back involuntarily. "'He's some shaky,' 
Hoplong remarked, looking back at the wreath of smoke above the boulder. I reckon I must have hit him harder than I thought in Harlan's. Gee, he's wild as blazes. He ejaculated as a bullet hummed high above his head and struck sharply against the rock wall. Yes, Red replied, coiling the rope. I was trying to rope that rock over there. If I could anchor to that, the current would push us over quick, but it's too far with this wind blowing. We can't do nothing here except get plugged. He'll be getting steadier as he rests from his fight with the water, Hopalong remarked and added quickly. Say, remember that meadow back there a ways? We can make her from there, all right? You're right, that's what we gotta do. He's sending him nearer every shot. Gee, I can most feel the wind of that one. And blamed if it ain't stopped raining. Come on. They clambered up the slippery, muddy bank to where they had left their horses and cantered back over their trail. Minute after minute passed before the cautious skulker among the rocks across the stream could believe in his good fortune. When at last decided that he was alone again, he left his shelter and started away with slowly weakening stride over cleanly washed rock where he left no trail. It was late in the afternoon before the two irate punchers appeared above the scene, and their comments, as they hunted slowly over the hard ground, were numerous and bitter. Deciding that it was hopeless in that vicinity, they began casting in great circles on the chance of crossing the trail further back from the river. But they had little faith in their success. As Red remarked, snorting like a horse in his disgust, I'll bet four dollars in a match he swum down the river just to have the laugh on us. Red had long since given it up as a bad job, though continuing to search, when a shout from the distant Hopalong sent him forward on a run. "'Hey, Red!' cried Hopalong, pointing ahead of him. "'Look there, ain't that a house?' "'Nah, of course not. It's, uh, it's a ship!' Red snorted sarcastically. "'What did you think it might be?' "'Gwan,' retorted his companion. "'It's a mission.' "'Ah, go on yourself. What's a mission doing up here?' Red snapped. "'What do you think they do? What do they do anywhere?' hotly rejoined Hopalong, thinking about Johnny." There, see the cross? Sure enough. And there's tracks at last, mighty wobbly, but tracks just the same. Them rocks couldn't go on forever. Red, I'll bet he's cashed in by this time. Cash nothing, them fellers don't. Well, if he's in that joint, we might as well go back home. We won't get him, not know-how, declared Hopalong. Huh, you wait and see, replied Red, pugnaciously. Reckon you never run up again a mission real hard, Hopalong responded, his memory harking back to the time he had disagreed with a convent and they both meant about the same thing to him as far as winning out was concerned. "'Think I'm a fool, kid?' snapped Red, aggressively. "'Well, he ain't no kid. "'You let me do the talking. "'I'll get him.' "'All right, and I'll do the laughing,' snickered Hoplong at the door. "'Sick him, Red.' The other boldly stepped into a small vestibule, Hopalong close at his heels. Red hitched his holster and walked heavily into a room at his left. With the exception of a bench, a table, and a small altar, the room was devoid of furnishings, and the effect of these was lost in the dim light from the narrow windows. The peculiar, not unpleasant odor of burning incense and the dim light awakened a latent reverence and awe in Hopalong, and he sneaked off his sombrero, an inexplicable feeling of guilt stealing over him. There were three doors in the walls, deeply shrouded in the dusk of the room, and it was very hard to watch all three at once. Red listened intently and then grinned. Hear that? They're playing dominoes in there. Come on. Ah, oh, you chump. Domini means mother in Latin, which is what they speaks. How do you know? Hanged if I can tell. I've heard it somewhere, that's all. Well, I don't care what it means. This is a frame-up so that coyote can get away. I'll bet they gave him a chaos and start him off while we've been losing time in here. I'm going inside and ask some questions. Before he could put his plan into action, Hopalong nudged him, and he turned to see his friend staring at one of the doors. 
There had been no sound, but he would swear that a monk stood gravely regarding them, and he rubbed his eyes. He stepped back suspiciously and then started forward again. "'Look here, stranger,' he remarked with quiet emphasis. "'We're after that cowlifter, and we mean to get him, savvy?' The monk did not appear to hear him, so he tried another trick. "'Habla espanol?' he asked experimentally. "'You have ridden far?' replied the monk in perfect English. "'All the way from the band,' Red replied, relieved. "'We're after Jerry Brown. He tried to kill Johnny, judging from the tracks.' "'And if you capture him?' "'He won't have no more use for no side-pocket shooting.' "'I see. You will kill him.' "'Shores, it's wet outside. I'm afraid you are doomed to disappoint.' "'Yes?' asked Red with a rising inflection. "'You will not want him now,' replied the monk. Red laughed sarcastically, and Hopalong smiled. "'There ain't a goin' to be no argument about it. Trot him out,' ordered Red grimly. The monk turned to Hopalong. "'Do you want him too?' Hopalong nodded. "'My friend, he is safe from your punishment.' Red wheeled instantly and ran outside, returning in a few moments, smiling triumphantly. There are tracks coming in, but there ain't none going away. He's here. If you don't lead us to him, we'll sure have to rummage around and poke him out for ourselves. Which is it? You are right. He is here, and he is not here. We're waiting, Red replied, grinning. When I tell you that you will not want him, do you still insist on seeing him? We'll see him, and we'll want him, too. As the rain poured down again, the sound of approaching horses was heard, and Hopalong ran to the door in time to see Buck Peters swinging off his mount and step forward to enter the building. Hopalong stopped him and briefly outlined the situation, begging him to keep the men outside. The monk met his return with a grateful smile, and stepping forward, opened the chapel door, saying, Follow me. The unpretentious chapel was small and nearly dark, for the usual dimness was increased by the lowering clouds outside. The deep, narrow window openings, fitted with stained glass, ran almost to the rough-hewn rafters supporting the steep-pitched roof, upon which the heavy rain beat again with a sound like that of distant drums. Gusts of rain and the water from the roof beat against the south windows, while the wailing winds played its mournful cadences about the eaves, and the stanch timbers added their creaking notes to swell the dirge-like chorus. At the far end of the room, two figures knelt and moved before the white altar, the soft light of flickering candles playing fitfully upon them and glinting from the altar ornaments, while before a rough coffin, which rested upon two pedestals, stood a third, whose rich, sonorous Latin filled the chapel with impressive sadness. Give eternal rest to them, O Lord. The words seemed to become a part of the room. The ineffably sad, haunting melody of the mass whispered back from the roof between the assaults of the enraged wind, while from the altar came the responses in a low Gregorian chant, and through it all the clinking of the censer chains added intermittent tones. Aloft streamed the vapor of the incense, wavering with the air currents, now lost in the deep twilight of the sanctuary, and now faintly revealed by the glow of the candles, perfuming the air with its aromatic odor. As the last deep-toned words died away, the celebrant moved slowly round the coffin, swinging the censer over it, and then, sprinkling the body and making the sign of the cross above its head, solemnly withdrew. From the shadows along the side walls, other figures silently emerged and grouped around the coffin. Raising it, they turned it slowly around and carried it down the dim aisle and measured tread, moving silently as ghosts. "'He is with God, who will punish according to his sins,' said a low voice, and Hopalong started, for he had forgotten the presence of the guide." God be with you, and may you die as he died, repentant and in peace. Buck chafed impatiently before the chapel door leading to a small, well-kept graveyard, wondering what it was that kept quiet for so long a time his two most assertive men, 
when he had momentarily expected to hear more or less turmoil and confusion. Creak. He glanced up, gun in hand, and raised as the door swung slowly open. His hand dropped suddenly, and he took a short step forward. Six black-robed figures, shouldering a long box, stepped slowly past him, and his nostrils were assailed by the pungent odor of the incense. Behind them came his fighting punchers, humble, awed, reverent, their sombreros in their hands, and their heads bowed. "'What in blazes?' exclaimed Buck, wonder and surprise struggling for the mastery as the others cantered up. "'He's cashed,' Red replied, putting on his sombrero and nodding towards the procession. Buck turned like a flash and spoke sharply. "'Skinny! Lanky! Follow that glory outfit and see what's in that box!' Billy Williams grinned at Red. "'You're sure pious, Red!' "'Shut up!' snapped Red, anger glinting in his eyes, and Billy subsided. Lanky and Skinny soon returned from accompanying the procession. "'I'd looked twice to be sure it was him. His face was plumb happy, like a baby, but he's gone, all right,' Lanky reported. "'All right. He knowed how he'd finished when he began. "'Now for that dear Mr. Harlan,' Buck replied, vaulting into the saddle. He turned and looked at Hopalong, and his wonder grew. "'Hey, you! Yes, you! Come out of that and put on your lid!' "'Straddle leather. We can't stay here all night.' Hopalong started, looking at his sombrero, and silently obeyed. As they rode down the trail and around a corner, he turned in his saddle and looked back, and then rode on, buried in thought. Billy grinned, turning and playfully punching him in the ribs. "'Gettin' glory, Hoppy?' Hopalong raised his head and looked him steadily in the eyes, and Billy, losing his curiosity and the grin at the same time, looked ahead, whistling softly. End of chapter 8 Recording by Andy Soule.